0: So can you hear me loud and clear? Yep, I can hear you loud and clear. How about me? Yep, I
1: can hear you loud and clear. Uh, happy New Year to the listeners. And guess what? What? He's gone. <laughs> oh, Yeah. She's gone she's gone she's gone and the whole country is celebrating that she's finally gone that's quite a new gift she gave you I mean how special do you have to be to be labeled as the worst prime minister in the history of the country in the history of any country to be honest
0: no that's all because of those you know special words they use misogynistic or sexist and that sort of shit. It's not because of her, her own shortcomings. No, no, it's not because of that. Yep.
1: Jacinda broke all the wrong records. She's here. Uh, she's got inflation at a 30 year high. She's got, you know, grocery prices at a 20 year high. She's got mortgages at a 50 year high. She's got the worst labor crisis in almost uh, 40 years. And, I wouldn't, if I was here, I wouldn't really have something to be proud of. I would just wipe the grin off my face and just go to hell.
0: Well, the deputy decided that uh, they don't want the job either. So that speaks for itself. Poison, chalice, I mean, she's gone.
1: So let's see how long Biden and uh, Trudeau last.
0: would it make a difference. Biden wouldn't know if he's still in charge or not. They'll probably, you know, set up a mock-up, mock-up of White House and say, you're president for life. <laughs> I mean, I
1: don't think Biden really realizes that he's a leader at this stage. It's, oh, well, I, how do you, I mean, someone that old hell, do they see the world?
0: What is their pernet, uh, perception? Well, <laughs> n- not even that. Uh, if you see the way he behaves, man, it's like, you know, there's a, a big house, 10 bedrooms, and this light switched on in just one of the bedrooms? Yeah. That's what it feels like. And only a Oof. little portion of his brain is active at one time.
1: <laughs> I mean, you just got to wonder, like, it probably speaks volumes to the society which decided to elect him in the first
0: place. Oh, man. That's a question that can't be answered because there are a lot of people who believe that uh, people didn't vote for him and that was rigged. And uh, I think uh, President Trump is the, well, he believed that, and a lot of people, other people, they still do. They call it a stolen on stolen action. Well, anyhow, it's going to get much worse in the future, so this is just the beginning, unfortunately.
1: Yep, and that day might not be far when they will come after us, the cancel culture mob. There will be one last uh, resurgence before it finally dies down. And what would that be? We'll see when it comes, but this particular episode, Carl said the gates, it made sense that the Guru Tegabad, the episode inflamed so many of these uh, Islamist Dawa groups, so many of these phonetics, so much. Went from they don't exist to, oh, why can't you provide the exact page numbers? And then when the same logic is used against them, they just... Tail it out after throwing a few insults like you will burn in hell, whatever, blah blah blah. Uh, so this episode, was, we are focusing on a timeline here, uh, 1783, when you know Bugail Singh, who was the uh, Sardar of the Kroda Singhia missile, uh, Jathedar Jasa Singh and several other missiles, you know, stormed Delhi. I mean, the significance of the storming was the fact that. Same Delhi had tried its utmost best to extinguish Sikhi, and now the Sikhs were basically, you know, tearing the uh, Mughal court to pieces down there. So quite symbolic, but in a way, this is uh, one of the lighter episodes we want to start off with, focusing on the, you know, personality of Jatadar Bhagiel Singh. You know, all these old Sikh leaders are so, uh, how would you say, spiritualized, that we don't really understand all the everyday tactics and strategies they used to uh, win in the war of uh, life as well as, you know, the war which they literally fought for Carl's sovereignty and Carl's supremacy.
0: Carl's supremacy, is it?
1: Did I insult someone's feelings? Did I have some feelings over there?
0: Does someone need a safe space to cry? They don't need a space safe to cry. They need an entire safe country to cry. <laughs>
1: right. So moving on, this missile, this Kuroda missile is one of the most famous missiles, but at the same time, it's one of those missiles with about which not much is known other than outside, you know, the history books, to be honest. And when did you first find out that there was a Kuroda Singhia missile?
0: Well, when I was reading about the all the, all the missile time period, so yeah, this we had this missile as well. I think it was primarily based around the uh, uh, Dwaba region. Yep,
1: I do believe they had uh, holdings in Madja and Malba. Basically, this was the missile which Ratan Singh Pangu's family were were a part of, and this was the missile which also granted him the villages which uh, provided him with his annual income. And there is a history here, so let's just jump straight into it. See, the Krodasinghe missile was actually part of the Buddha Dal. The six missiles which made up the Buddha Dal, the Krodasinghe missile was part of that. Its initial name, there are two names of it, is either Fateh Gadiye or Page But the name Singh, and we'll get up to who Singh was because his story is very crucial. And shows why many people converted to Sikhi at the time. But the start of this missile was not exactly as glorious as many individuals make out. It was almost like a minor company of, you know, Khalsa warriors led by Sham Singh. And Sham Singh was the father in law of Pai, Matab Singh, who was the grandfather of Pai, Ratan Singh Pangu. So there is that story there. And Sham Singh was also one of Nawab Kapoor Singh's trusted, you know, uh, colleagues, in you know battle and otherwise. And as we discussed with Anmol Singh Rode in the uh, missile Sheath episode, you know, and I had this discussion today with someone. Nawab Kapoor Singh is, you know, cast as this saintly old man who, you know, Waheguru guided, you know, with you know mysticism, right?
0: Well, that's usually the way it is. People try to portray them as peace-loving people who just wanted to roam on horses.
1: And uh, give out langar, like Ravi
0: Khan. Or not just give out langar, bankrupt themselves and snatch resources from their own people and give to the enemies. Pretty much. And
1: so when you literally look into the lives of these missile Sardars, when you go into profound detail, you realize they were very Machiavellian. They were very uh, strategic minded, very tactical minded as well. So essentially when Nawab Kapoor Singh formed the Buddha Dal, you know, he knew that cut a long story short, he couldn't manage everything himself. It was just impossible for one individual. So the Buddha Dal was divided into five wings. And one of the commanders of these five wings, uh, one wing was actually led by Jatidar Sham Singh, right? Yeah Now Jatedar Sham Singh isn't a man you would really want to mess with on the best of days. Mm-hmm. He's literally one of the veterans from the Banda Singh era. Quite a famous or infamous individual. Depends on which side you look at it from And at that time you could say He was blacklisted for execution By the Mughal Hindu state Yeah So He was Literally one of the uh, Most dangerous Sikhs At that time on the face of the earth Can you imagine that? I can very well so imagine being
0: associated with him, what the consequences would be. Execution, brutal execution, not just me, my entire family. Right. So
1: he was from village Narli, which is, I believe, in the Majamalva region. I can be wrong. And interestingly enough, Sardar Sham Singh is actually counted as the. Primary jathedar of the Kuroda Singhya missile, he actually laid the groundwork for it. So credit where credit is due. So from 1734 until 1740, he led this uh, you know embryonic company, this little battalion, until he fell fighting in battle against Nader Shah's forces. Mm-hmm. So now he's actually succeeded by Karam Singh, and you know for the people who shit on pape, you know, ek papa saucy up all those jokes they make about them. Well, guess who uh Karam Singh was? I don't need to guess. Right, he was uh, Uppal Khatri of Pejgarh.
0: And so was Harrison Nalwa.
1: Right. And, you know, they started calling this Division of the Buddha Dal page Gary because of Karam Singh. And I know that currently there is this debate over whether Sikhs can wear helmets or not. There is a certain section which is saying we should be, you know, investing in research regarding you know fabric. Others, you know, saying that Sikhs can wear helmets because in the past we used to. Ratan Singh Pangu actually describes that, you know, around the time when they actually went and uh, assisted Sodi Varpag Singh. Garam Singh actually tied on as a damala to go into war, but it seems to be loose. But on top of that, damala he had a kod, which was you know their term for a helmet, and this helmet had the jura as well. Now, why certain Sikhs had these uh, you know helmets or why they had minor helmets only protecting the middle part of the Dastar? It's uh, not exactly known, but I do believe it's mostly to do with you know their uh, battlefield duties. I suppose we can say that. In one respect, modern artillery probably has need of more uh, significantly cantankerous helmets than, I suppose, the normal field soldier. Would you agree with that?
0: Uh, The field soldier as well, uh, because of all the drones and stuff, artillery is becoming more mechanized and utilizes less people, less soldiers. So if you're an infantryman, your head is the biggest target you can present in the battlefield because it's, it's right on top, yeah? Yep. So, yeah, shrapnel, maybe some sniper shots or assault rifles. No, you have to protect, get protection from everything.
1: Right. And I suppose it depends on range and other factors. And it would have been similar back then as well because I believe Hari Singh Narva's suit or armor that has a helmet. There is that other classic gold and silver-plated one, you know. So anyway, you know, Karam Singh goes into battle, his helmet and the star falls off, his hair opens up and there is an enemy commander in front of him. So Karam Singh takes out his sword and just hurls it and, you know, it goes right through that enemy commander's head, kills him right on the spot, goes straight through his head. He's such a strong expert marksman. Mm-hmm. So, Karam Singh is literally the man who starts building up this missile from, you know, ground up. Uh, so, here is, you know, Sham Singh who's given it battalion capabilities in the modern sense, and Karam Singh literally takes it more to a almost regimental standard, or, or you can say a brigade standard. Yeah. So... He's a strict disciplinarian. He's very strict on her Mariyadha. He's, you know, quite an uh, expert in armed and unarmed combat. So he's quite, you know, uh, insistent that there would be this brutal regime of training, which all his men undergo. And essentially what happens is that, you know, just like Sham Singh, Jathedar Karam Singh dies fighting in 1745.
0: So just five years after. Okay.
1: Right. So now comes a very intriguing individual, Sardar, who's made Sardar. He's actually one of Karam Singh's close uh, confidants, his friends. And, you know, this man has a sense of adventure. This is Jathedar Karona Singh.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And it seems that, you know, There is a belief that the Kroda Singhia missile was never called Kroda Singhia missile during Kroda Singh's lifetime. It's after him that they started calling it the Kroda Singh missile because here is a man, I mean, out of these jathedars, the longest, you know, if we look at the four jathedars of the Kroda Singhia missile, we have Sham Singh who goes from 1734 to 1740, Karam Singh who goes from 1740 to 1745 and then Kroda Singh goes from 1745 to 1761, and then Bagail Singh goes from 1761 to 1802. So Kroda Singh has one of the longest uh, incumbencies regarding this missile. Now, this band, these men, these Khalsa warriors were called Pejgaria during his lifetime. Hmm. And Kroda Singh, now there is a bit of a you know, confusion over Kuroda Singh's past, but it's believed his real name well, before becoming Sikh was by Kuroda Mal. He was a Jat. Okay. And Kazan Singh, who's actually a British-era historian, a Sikh historian, according to Kazan Singh, that Gorora Singh was forcibly converted to Islam in around 17... 17- Thirty-eight, but then he reconverted right he was rescued by the Sikhs and he reconverted but then if you look at
0: that's your interpretation he wasn't forcefully converted to Islam he was encouraged to convert to Islam right so is that something that is also
1: alternative version
0: alternative truth
1: yeah (laughs) well I mean Islamists will see that they uh, you know
0: encouraged him but there was no encouragement but then oh, Gupta, there, there, there was encouragement if, if there's a sword on your neck, it's extreme encouragement, but it is encouragement. <laughs> it's like when they claim that there is no compulsion
1: in religion, but really the next verse makes it clear that that verse really says there is no compulsion in religion because, you know, our God has uh, revealed the truth. And if you don't accept the truth, you go to hell, always check the next verse. They only quote half the verse. Age old tactics. Yep. But on the other hand, Haridam Gupta, based on you know Persian documentation, implies that you know this conversion never happened around seventeen thirty eight. It actually happened around seventeen twenty five or seventeen twenty-eight. So he argues that it happened around that uh, three year period. And this seems more authentic than Kazan Singh due to the fact that, you know, Kroda Singh is mentioned as Jathedar Karam Singh's close companion. So if we take the 1738 date, it really doesn't make sense when you consider the fact that it's argued that, you know, he was Karam Singh's close companion from years prior. And that, you know, the time length is, it doesn't make sense if you look at the Kazan Singh time length and you don't find any, you know, Evidence of Krora Singh being forcibly converted during those years. So the Gupta timeline makes more sense. Hmm. Now, one can easily deduce that what's happened around this point is that by Karora Mal is probably a Sahitari, right? So he's grown his case, he uh, lives in Rhetmariyadha, does his net name, but he's just waiting to take Khandeki Pohol. And around this period, the Mughals, you know, raid his village or his area. They find out about him and they forcefully convert him to Islam. Now, it seems that in between, he actually does try authentically believing in Islam, but, you know, he has the same problems which many modern-day apostates and scientific-minded Muslims have. Right? And the issue really stems like this is, have you heard of Apostate Aladdin?
0: Uh, I think I have, but uh, I haven't watched his videos, I would say. But not many of them. Right. So he's an ex-Muslim. He was actually uh, trained as one
1: of these Dava proselytizers, which literally, it seems, consists of going around harassing people to convert and threatening them with hell when they don't. But thank God for science. <laughs> and, you know, led Aladdin has this uh, video. I think the UK Dava preacher's name is... Ridwan or Rizwan something like that. And apostate Aladdin asks, "What is Kufar? right? What is infidelity?" And the U- UK-based individual replies that it is when you know the truth but you cover up the truth. Now, the first problem they have in this video, and you can you know watch it on YouTube, is that how can you decide what is the truth of infidelity. How do you know that someone is actually covering up the truth? Well, the truth is what I say it is. Right. And that's what apostate Aladdin says. And then when Ridwan or Rizwan is trying to actually cover this up, apostate Aladdin unleashes his next one, because, you know, you need to remember, this man is actually trained proficiently in the Quran. He asks, why does it say that Allah has predestined men to deny the truth of you know this Islamic system and go to hell. Then why are the Dava people even you know wasting their time when they know that Allah has you know destined people for hell?
0: Okay. And what was the answer? Well he <laughs> see
1: the the funny thing was that you gotta think about it like this is here is a man who literally, like Ridwan, he decides to use a boxer's analogy, and he says that, you know, Allah knows what punches you're going to uh, give out, what the final outcome of your boxing match is, but the punches are up to you. And that is not predestination, that is your free will. Circular reasoning, eh? Yep, Circular reasoning, and, you know, I... Like, the comments underneath the video basically pointed out that, you know, Ridwan arguing this means that he's lost a lot of brain cells believing in it because, you know, the people listening to him have lost a lot of brain cells. It's just a migraine listening to his mental acrobatics.
0: You do realize when people started, uh, I think it comes from Yuri Bezmenov, ideologically captured people. You could present them the evidence, they'll never believe it.
1: It, it's like Richard Dawkins actually argues in his book, Outgrowing God, which I finished you know, just recently, is that if God made hell before making man, then does it mean God, a perfect God, predestined man for hell? The argument makes sense yeah. Or if you're saying that God made hell after he made man, then does it mean that God made man imperfect and intended for hell anyway?
0: Man, I don't think uh, there is an intelligent answer to this question.
1: I mean, it's like Guru Arjan says in Gurbani that if you talk about heaven and hell, this is the same question Guru Arjan, you know, asks and you can listen, uh, you can find that Shabad in the reincarnation episode, is that even if you consider reincarnation, then what was the fault of those first individuals who did bad for there to be bad karma in the first place? Oh, they had a corporate software. Right. And these sort of things, I mean, leaving aside the you know hollow ritualism of trying to read prayers five times a day or whatever other things they believe in, all this convinced Grora Singh that he was actually in a cult. Hmm. So by Grora Mal fled and joined the Khalsa and the Forests, took Kandeki Pohol. And rejected Islam and became a Sikh.
0: What an intolerant person.
1: <laughs> Can you repeat that?
0: What an intolerant person. Yep, yep, what an
1: intolerant person. We should, you know, lambast him because their leftist sentimentalities are hurt by
0: this man. He he did he did he not knew that it's not necessary to convert to Sikh to do Seba? <laughs> no.
1: Listen to what he did after becoming a Sikh, right? Yeah, I'm listening. Right. So first he returned and paid the favor to all the people who had converted him. He wiped them out in their entire territories. He burned to the ground.
2: Mm-hmm. That's
1: right? appropriate. Yep. And after that, what he decides to do now, jathedar Darbara Singh is still alive at that time and Kapoor Singh is not Nawab. Basically, what he decides is that slowly he builds up his base in the Kangara Hills of Hoshiarpur. Okay. Clever strategy is that he comes down onto the open plains to fight, but he retreats into the mountains, and every time the enemy follows him, he ambushes them and finishes, finishes them off down there.
0: you got to remember back in those days when the water was f- flowing freely, Hoshiarpur had tons of seasonal rivers called Joes. They still exist, but they're dry. Yep, and
1: I mean, Kroda Singh actually had strategic, you know, bastions placed around these jaws, so, you know, he could control the water anyway.
0: Yep, swamp territory, excellent for ambushes and guerrilla
1: warfare. Right, so after Adina Beg dies in 1759, Kroda Singh wipes out most of his supporters, especially his uh, agent uh, Diwan Bisambarmal, and he seizes all of Hoshyat, uh, Haryana and Sham Shamcharasi, so all 84 villages. Mm-hmm. Then he takes over the Taliban region, and that's 360 more villages. Okay. Right, so Kuroda Singh has significantly increased the entire, uh, you know, Pejgaria Gariya battalions, you know, territory, and ultimately they decide that, you know, this is one of the 11 missiles which the Khalsa will have, Noab Kapoor Singh decides. So here is a man who's, you know, actually a small-time leader, and suddenly he becomes this big military general, big military commander, and his diplomacy, his Machiavellianess, his uh, astuteness, these are all on open show how he
0: slowly starts, you know, expanding this missile. Point. Yep. Do you know how many Afghans were settled in the Sharabad area by the Mughals?
1: See, now you talk about that, and this is that point we made in the Maratha episode, and this is what Tamas Khan Miskin writes is that after Baba Deep Singh Shidi, most of these Afghans were wiped out. And, you know, it, looking at the historic circumstances, Groda Singh had a massive hand in that.
0: Hmm. Uh, okay. Uh, I think the more. Most of the wiping happened around Jalandhar, yep. but even Jalandar today, yep. even today, if you go to Sharpur, all the villages with with the, the name Basi yep. they were patans. all Af- Afghan villages.
1: Yep, Afghan villages. And so, when they say that the Marathas marched into Punjab to rebuild their Barzai, it doesn't make sense because just a single Wali brought ten thousand horsemen from that you know side anyway, which you know uh, increased to sixty thousand. It's because all the Afghan patans were wiped out. Why would the Marathas build their bazaar before building Ram Mandir? Pretty much, so the Marathas never even entered Amritsar; they just skirted around
0: it. They were in the region, but they were—they had, you know, they had no point going to build their bars anyhow because they had no loyalty to it and no no faith in it. They went straight from Sirhind, marching all the way to Lahore. The Khalsa made the detour, according to
1: Miskin, but not the Marathas. They actually were pissed off that they had to wait for the Sikhs, but the Sikhs did pass through Amritsar and. That's why the Sikhs were well rested and able to march on ahead anyway, you know, and sort of wait for the Marathas to finally catch up alongside Adina. But anyway, moving on from there. Now, Goroa Singh falls fighting in 1761. Okay. Now the same circumstances in which Gorora Singh rose to prominence, that he was, you know, one of the uh, close confidants, administrators, and colleagues of you know Garam Singh. Same way what happens is that he has a personal assistant, a young servant, a young employee who's from a very poor background, and his family entrusted him to Goroda Singh, and this is by Bagal Singh. Hmm. And Bagail Singh is actually a selected as the head of the Krora Singhia Missile after Krora Singh's martyrdom after by Krora Singh shethi hmm. Now, as far as historic records go, he's very muscular, very tall, but he's also dark-skinned. And looking at him, you wouldn't even know that this man has this you know, crafty rapidity inside him. Hmm. So very quiet, very silent. He has a political marriage and then he has another real marriage. This is a man of his times, but he's also very, you know, futuristic minded, very quiet, very humble. Until you bring him into politics and the field of battle, then all hell breaks loose. So man rooted in reality. rooted in reality. So, what happens is that Bagail Singh has all these strategies, right? But ultimately, the culmination of his career, the apex point is reached when he leads an attack on Delhi in 1783. Now, what happens is that this attack is not non-retaliatory. It's actually a retaliation. Did you know that?
0: Uh, Not in proper terms, no.
1: Okay, so what happens is that if you look at the timeline, in 1781, the Mughals decide that, hey, what the hell, we are trying to reclaim our lost glory. It's a full stream. But Mirza Shafi Khan leads 10,000 soldiers to the Satalaj region to subdue the Khalsa. And Bagail Singh is, you know, the only man who opposes them. So initially, he's actually worsted. But, you know, what happens is that he decides that, you know, you know MacArthur's strategy in, you know, the Okinawan Islands. You know what he did down there, Ray? MacArthur decided in the Pacific, like MacArthur, Nymphs, uh, King... All these other uh, generals and you know, commanders, naval commanders, air force commanders, they were sitting down and asking MacArthur what the hell could they do to actually reduce their casualties, you know, in the Pacific while they were fighting the Japanese. And MacArthur, you know, for all his uh prima donna ten, uh, you know, antics, all his you know, megalomania, he came up with the strategy that the islands which are you know, stronger. We will bypass them yeah and we will attack the weaker islands now if they could gain you know a skill for holding on the weaker islands they would have the stronger islands surrounded anyway and it would be a matter of time before they would cut off all supplies and the stronger islands would become gradually weak and then they could take it over anyway while you know not expending precious resources on the strong and focusing them elsewhere
0: the exact strategy that Putin is employing currently around Bakhmut uh, in eastern Ukraine. Yep. And that's
1: what Pai Singh does. So rather than take on Mirza Shafiq Khan openly, he goes to the rear and attacks Shabad, his main headquarters, and you know Shafiq Khan is forced to surrender. Hmm. So these tactics like 1781, they don't forget it. Like even though he wins, he doesn't forget what's happened. And to make a point, the Khalsa storms Delhi in 1783, and that's where Aurangzeb's fat gut bursts open in hell that, hey, I tried killing them from here, and now they've actually stormed my palace and raised it to the ground.
0: Not just palace, they approached his throne and tracked it all the way to Darwarsa. Yep, that was uh, just Ram Ramgadi, I believe. Yeah, but over the same year,
1: same campaign. Yep. Right, so now when it comes to Delhi, there is obviously that, uh, you know, allegation made that the Sikhs don't have a particularly accurate history of Guru Teghbar, that's all, you know, falsities which they're being taught in their madrasas. But what happens is he decides to build these Gurdwaras, and the emperor gives him full permission to do it. So he starts demolishing all the mosques because it's a part of that, uh, you know, cultural and religious makeup that if you do slay someone who doesn't believe in your religion or infidel, you can build a mosque to mark your victory on that site. Except no one's considered what happens when people rise up and come to demolish the mosque.
0: That's true.
1: Right? So he decides to demolish them. There are nearly riots in the city, so what Bagheel Singh says is, okay, look, we will negotiate with you. But at the same time, he has Sikhs besieged the city. And you know, all the uh, converts to Islam, he wins them over to his side through money, through offerings. All the kajis come over, they sell out because they don't, because, you know, he plays up on the food that if, you know, your God was so perfect, why would he allow us to trample you into the dust? Hmm. And, you know, basically they are split from the inside out and he builds the Gurdwaras, demolishes the mosques and, you know, after humiliating Delhi, goes on his way. Okay. So, Carl's at the gates now. Someone might ask that why didn't he stay and take total control of Delhi? Uh,
0: well, that's the question we still ask ourselves today.
1: I suppose one way of looking at it is there was a lack of vision, and because there was a lack of vision, they couldn't really afford to extend themselves all the way into Delhi. It would just have weakened them in the Punjab.
0: No, because. Uh... Put it simply, they simply did not have the numbers and the resources. Right. So
1: there was that wise
0: choice they made.
1: And uh, if we have argued somewhat differently in the past, then we apologize for that because we are also learning ourselves. But, you know, Bagheel Singh wasn't like Hannibal that he rooted himself in one spot. That's why his name still strikes fear in Delhi. You know why he's considered as you know legendary around there, is because unlike Hannibal, who got bogged down, he just appeared and disappeared, but he inflicted massive carnage on Delhi in terms of infrastructure and finance.
0: There's a town in Delhi called Tisazari. Have you heard of it? Right. Yep. That's
1: where he uh, stuck around with his
0: 30,000 soldiers. So 30,000 Khalsa forces stayed there, took control of Delhi and constructed the gurdwaras
1: And you know what's funny is that if you look at the history of Sazari, this was where Aurangzeb had a particular uh, fetish for getting Sikhs killed here. Yeah, same place. Yep, same place. So look at the irony of it, right?
2: Uh, The
0: beauty of it, I would say. Yep. Oh, yeah, you can see the beauty of it as well. The beautiful irony of it. You tried to burn us down and, and now in the very same place we are blooming again. Pretty much, and you
1: know, Saif Ali Khan, the Bollywood actor. Hmm. He's a uh, what's that a uh, region which he's supposedly the symbolic Nawab of? Patodi. Yeah, Bagheel Singh pretty much destroyed Patodi. It did. Yep. Only one visitation, and they were never able to rise up again.
0: Nope.
1: And. Many of the British in Delhi were also enamored with Bagheel and You know, they could see that this man is quite smart. He could beat us at our own gate.
0: He could, but I do have a belief that uh, he was actually too old to craft any long-term strategy at this point. I think one thing you need
1: to look at is, was, you know, looking at the House of Kalsia, which are his descendants, by Bagail Singh was, or Jatedar Bagheel Singh was someone who knew that radical changes around that time would not actually favor the Khalsa.
0: No, no, no.
1: So he decided rather than upset the Matrix, let the Matrix evolve by itself. It's... It's one of those strategies where you know you, when you know that you can get out because you're at the top of your game, you get out straight away.
0: I, I think we've mentioned this, and well, in our, one of our previous episodes, but more than one, I would say. Yep. That you, one of those uh, pure qualities of a leader is that a leader knows when to quit. Yep. And you must live long enough to see the consequences of your own decisions and actions. Right. And
1: if you think about it, if you look at my Jatidhar Bagheel strategies, three of them stand out quite a lot to me. So the first one is obviously the center of gravity strategy. You know, when CPU Africanus attacked Carthage, he attacked the farmlands first and not the city itself. And, you know, if he had attacked the city first, he would just have lost a lot of, you know, irreplaceable uh, warriors and resources. And that's what Bagail Singh did when he decided, you know, rather than attack Shafi Khan, head on, just go behind him and hit him at his headquarters at Shabad. And on the other hand, there's another strategy, which is, and this is the quite crucial strategy which Sikhs have still to master, which is dominate while seeming to submit. So, When the Muslims in Delhi threatened violence upon learning Sikhs were demolishing their illicit mosques, Bagheel Singh invited them to parlay, but also had Sikh chiefs besiege Delhi as an added leverage. So when he did make any meaningless concessions, they were exactly that, just a meaningless concession. Well, that's what diplomacy is. Pretty much. And the third one is moralize your crusade. So he, I mean... Out of all the Khalsa warriors, Bagil Singh was probably the most cynical, but he always moralized the Khalsa crusade on the face of it. He gave these rousing speeches, you know, did these rousing performances, all that to get the common man to get up and become Sikhs and, you know, hit the Mughal Hindus really hard.
0: Yep. And, and he, did, he did a lot of Tarampachar as well. Let's not forget that. Yep. Lots of people became 30 I mean,
1: one of the successes of the uh, Kroda Singhia missile expanding so rapidly after Karam Singh was that Kroda Singh and Bhagail Singh spent nights just doing
0: Prachar. They barely slept. Well, if you if you were able to convince 30,000, or well, at least 30,000 Sikhs to follow you all the way to Delhi, then you got to be a very charismatic leader and those people need to have complete trust in you I mean one of the things I
1: would like to like to do is you know tell you about the Israeli military structure you ever studied it
0: uh, not in depth no but you know their military structure is very unique the situation demands it. how is it unique Because of the the unique situation they are in Yes, yes, but what would you say is a specific answer? Ah, oh, no, you need to tell me because I haven't studied it in depth, as I told you. Right, they have strong cultural cohesion. Oh, the culture within the military, you mean? Yep. So, a military
1: reflects the society it comes out of. That's what John Keegan says. And the fact with the Israeli military, which they you know found out during the Golan Heights conflict, was that. Each and every individual is expected to use their initiative for the greater good rather than rely on orders. That's how they, you know, defeated all these Arab armies. Hmm. So the structure really is the uh, Nelsonian structure in the military, which is pretty much that, you know, you give me a strategic order, I execute it on the tactical level, but in the heat of war, strategy and tactic becomes confused.
0: I think that's what Mike Tyson said, paraphrasing that uh, you don't have a plan after you get punched in the face. Yep. And when strategy and tactics become
1: confused, that's when you know you're ultimately defeated. But if you look at the cohesion of using your own initiative, then at least everyone is working towards the bigger picture. But they're not trying to readjust it themselves all the time.
0: I think that's. Uh... Well, just the opposite is the reason why Arab armies have been traditionally very incompetent. Yep, you're right. And if you look at Bagheel
1: Singh's success in the military, his own rise, basically he would not ask his men to do something he wouldn't do himself. So he was usually between the front line and his men, and they would see him and follow him to the ends of the earth, no matter what the circumstances. That's the way it's supposed to be, bro. I mean, his quick thinking is also, uh, he's generally credited with coming up with the, uh, you know, unique strategy of the circle during the vadakalukara
0: Yep, we discussed about it, yes.
1: Yep, right on the spot as well. So, you know, this is a man whose
0: life is worth studying. is there any credible literature or research paper about him I mean other than the history books which are quite repetitive
1: no one has actually sat down and studied what his you know battle strategies his tactical level strategies his strategic level strategies were
0: I think we 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 keep talking about these things you know um, in one of our previous episodes I said we need to understand the military we need to try to understand the military mind of Guru Gobind Singh. yeah? Yep. That has never been done. So let's say, let's say yep. a foreign military or a foreign military officer tries to do that, actually achieves something and then incorporates that knowledge into his military or a military operation and then successfully executes it. Hmm. That will bring us much more recognition around the world than handing out free shit. Oh, well,
1: at the end of the day, we'll just give them a siropa and say goodbye because at the end of the day, you know, we will just say that, you know, the fatalistic thing that the Guru was going to win because God wanted him to win.
2: Man,
0: you can't escape these people, can you?
1: It's the same thing as the predestination debate as it goes on that, you know, a perfect God would know the outcomes of your actions, but what outcome you take, he would entrust it to you, that you know, you are the apex of my creation. Your right to perfectness from imperfectness is dependent on
0: how you use your free will. How can a person who believes in such a God believe in justice and, and the court system?
1: Well, that's the thing. And if you look at Bagail Singh's life, he never believed in such a God. Nope. I mean, think about it. Thinking if he did, why wasn't he like the quiescent, you know, generation of all the subcontinentals who stayed quiet before him and just accepted, you know, massacres and rapes as they came?
0: What's even more shocking is that if you know that Aurangzeb kept receiving non Muslim wives, even though he was hell bent on killing every non Muslim.
1: Right. And that's some of the things we need to start considering about these, you know, figures as to what they can teach us rather than the, you know, they were great Sikh generals. What made them
0: so great? (sighs) Depends on who you're asking.
1: I mean, Bhagail Singh was a man who even the Europeans started fearing after a while. They did. Yeah, Yeah. Right. And he built all these Gurdwaras in Delhi. He went down in history. But why don't we remember him for who he was? You know what led to his achievements, what his attitude and mentality were. Why don't we remember him for that?
0: Because that will present a completely different image of that what we have ourselves formed for our historical figures, and that will pr- probably shatter the hearts of a lot of people. Right.
2: So
0: he. Yep. And a side note that the Thaliwal clan needs to produce better human beings into this world. Baba Bagir Singh was Thaliwal. And today's Thaliwals are. Well, I have some of them in my family. They're not up to to the mark, bro. Want to give a slight confidential example? Uh, Contact Trudeau. He'll tell you. (laughs) yes I understand what
1: you mean I understand what you mean and I think rather than even falling into the clan you know thing the clan separation clan divisions for me what really stands out about you know by Abigail Singh is that he was actually identified and trained by you know Jatedar Kuroda Singh and Kuroda Singh's you know rejection of Islam speaks
0: volumes for itself not just rejection he came back from that and went into Sikh, and during this stay he became one of the bests, best in the field. Yep, he because... achieved a lot of people, converted a lot of people to Sikh, did a lot of prachar, and actually achieved something tangible, something solid.
1: Because it was also quite an intellectually based rejection. I mean, here is a man who has used his faculties for reason and logic to reject what is outright occultish mentality.
0: It depends how big the cult is, and the definition, definition changes.
1: Well, obviously, yes, we have that. But look at the considerable, you know, thought he gave the matter. And he tried his best to be a Muslim, but he just couldn't do it because he couldn't
0: find any sense in it. And then I would say he hadn't met the correct Dawah man. I would
1: say that's all rubbish if you look at the way Ali Dava and Mohammed Hijab shout, They're, you know, the growing apost- apostasy among Muslims, when it really comes out, it's going to shatter quite a lot of fragile perceptions.
0: Well, you know what the penalty
1: is for apostasy? Obviously, but then I believe his name is uh, Nasir Dashti in Qatar. This was what he was saying that really... On one hand, our scripture says that to kill one human is like, you know, killing the whole human race. But underneath the very same text, the very same next line is that, you know, you must kill people who don't believe in your religion because they can't share in that, you know, concept. And there was a mullah trying to tell him that there is always a penalty for running the red lights. And Dashti's like, well, how can you compare red light running to, you know, apostasy? How? I've seen that video, bro. Pure comedy. Pure comedy. And... These sort of considerations made Kaurat Singh and many Muslims who he converted
0: to Sikhi think twice about what was happening. You know, we are not innocent, yeah? We have rejected the true faith. We are not innocent, yeah? How many true faiths have we rejected? We have rejected countless true faiths. No, there's only one true faith. The rest are just (laughs) sharads. Pretty much, pretty much. And, you know, it's like
1: Richard Dawkins established this point, you know, in Outgrowing God, like end of the day, God seems to be worse than men because he is made by the worse of men.
0: Yeah, God seems to be really jealous of other
1: gods. mm mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a book worth reading, and that did sort of strike me like that same route would have been followed by by uh by Kroda Mal before he became Jathidar Kurora Singh. Was he fat like today's Chatteras? Nope, nope, this was actually quite a warrior. This was a warrior.
2: Hmm.
1: And look at the personality of these men that, you know, even the British started fearing them. I mean, it's just amazing leading all these men into battle. You have the British who are more technologically advanced actually writing where wait; These guys can defeat us at our own game and look at our leadership today and look at the leadership back then. And I believe that, you know, the Kroda-Singhia missile exemplifies that uh, Machiavellian dictum that good men must do bad for the greater good.
0: That is true, unfortunately.
1: It's just a reality of the world you need to accept and move on with, you know, go with it rather than try rejecting it.
0: A simple question for you. Yep. In a fair world, let's say, a world that was magically in, in, let's say, a utopia, a fair utopia, do you think there are going to be no losers in that utopia, in that fair world? There will definitely be losers. Do you think people will suddenly stop making bad life decisions? Nope, nope. I mean...
1: Utopia in itself is probably the worst life decision you can ever make.
0: Who would you blame for your own failures in a utopia? Well, that's the
1: irony of utopia. That's the main contradiction down there.
0: Okay, so going back to the great man, talking about him. Yep. After 1783. 1793, and he passes away in 1802? Around
1: 1802 to 1805, so between those two to three years, he's actually passed away.
0: What happens after 1799? It is the rise of Maharaja Ranjit Singh. And what happened to Baba Bagil Singh?
1: He's old. He's quite old, but he's still a warrior, but there's, you know... Clash never, uh, you know, culminates between him and Ranjit Singh. It never comes to that part because he dies early on.
0: And what happened to his missile?
1: Most of it. Most of the warriors who have settled down, they decide that fine. Then the uh, territories can be divided between uh, Maharaja Ranjit Singh on one side and the British on the other side and the rest join the Lahore, Darbar, or go their own way. You see, for them, it was one of those rare privileges. They held themselves to be those rare men, no matter what hardships they underwent, what trials and tribulations they underwent, to have served under such a uh, sagacious you know, warrior commander, warrior leader like Kroda Singh and Bagail Singh. Hmm. That was enough for them. The memories of those days was enough to keep them going.
0: You also got to remember that you cannot keep on fighting continuously. No, you can't. You can't. Today tomorrow you say, okay, I'm happy with what I have. Let's settle down and have a peaceful life.
1: Right. And, you know, the... Kuroda Singh is a missile when Ratan Singh Pangu writes about it. He writes about it rarely, but you can see the respect he has for Bagheel Singh and Kuroda Singh. Hmm. Right? I mean, these were men he probably saw himself. Dead. Right? But now today when we look at the Sikh leadership of today, the uh, systems which are supposed to produce those leaders,
0: they're non-existent. Well, you you can't have fruits without planting the tree first.
1: See, for all the people who say Bagail Singh should be sent back today, how many of you are willing to become like him? But let's leave that. How many of you are willing to make your kids like him suffer all the trials and tribulations which shaped Bagail Singh, which made him who
0: he was? Well, nobody's trying to actively hunt you down today, so it should be comparatively easier. But no, hard work is still hard work. Hard work is still hard work, so before asking, before requesting, before praying that such
1: individuals return, just think whether you would want to be like them yourself, or you want to put
0: your kids through what they went through. Question. Yep. Would they return for you? No. Why would they it's return the- for weaklings like us? Yeah, it's the same thing. Jesus is coming back. Say, so Would he return back for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's it's this thing you need to understand that, you know, we don't expect much from our leaders today because we don't expect much from ourselves today. We can't hold ourselves to a higher standard. So how can we hold our leaders to a higher
0: standard? That's true. Fully true.
1: And you can see it that leaders who take yes. over a country the destroy it the leaders who take over a country, destroy it and then bail out before the elections and people are saying, well, let's burn out. They tried their best. Well, leaders aren't there to try their best. They're there to actually achieve the best. Right? They're there to achieve the best and if they can't achieve the best, you find someone else who's more functional.
2: Hmm.
0: Right.
1: and that's just reality
0: that's a question we ask ourselves every single day how many people are actually willing to accept what reality is and how many of them have the have got the mental capacity to understand what reality is
2: hmm.
1: and that's the thing if you do accept reality for what it is you can move forward and do something but if you can't accept reality for what it is then keep living in la-la land, I suppose.
0: Bro, p- people do a cunt part for the health of the family and they wouldn't stop drinking alcohol.
1: Hmm. Yeah, right. I've seen that myself. Suffer from diabetes, uh, take a pill and go splurge on pakoras in the langar.
2: <laughs> now,
0: in their belief, uh, uh, a prayer is enough. That will, that will keep them protected. You know, you have to be your own prayer yourself. Oh, man, the simple, simple rules for life. Yeah. Yep. Simple rules
1: for life. That's all for today. Thank you very much for listening. Bye, Guruji Bye, Guruji.